into the wind. So we pull up to a high hover and it, I, I remember very distinctly that it was next to like a, a tree. I, I don't know what kind of tree, but it was a tree. It was probably off to our left, probably about 20 feet. Tim's working the site and all of a sudden, very faintly, you hear like microwave popcorn because that's what it sounds like, right? AK-47 sounds like popcorn in the microwave. There's a pop, 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 you know? So Brian or Tim is like, we're taking fire. We're taking fire. I'm like, I'm looking around out front, left and right. I'm like, I don't see anybody. There's no buildings here. What are you talking about? And then sure enough, you hear think, think, think. And you look down below and there's a Bedouin dude in black pajamas or whatever. Well, the AK-47 shooting at us trying to, you know, do whatever. So we pull off and that's the last time that I ever pulled up to a hover anywhere on that um this is the Low Level Hell Podcast, episode 29. Welcome to the Low Level Hell Podcast program that explores the world of rotary and fixed-wing combat aviation through the exciting stories of the men and women who experienced it firsthand. Now, here's your host, U.S. Army helicopter pilot, Brian Harris. Hey everybody, welcome back to the program, episode 29, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. I had a great time. It's a little discombobulated just because uh, the guest is a good friend of mine, and we hadn't spoken in a really long time, so uh, we kind of darted all over the place, but I think you guys will enjoy it. It's been a little bit since we've had the last episode. I think it was early June, and uh, you know, some, some people ask, you know, oh, did you stop doing a podcast or anything like that? No, uh, don't worry. If I ever stop doing it, uh, I'll definitely, you know, make make a, a production of it. And I'll let you know that it's that it's over. I'm not just gonna suddenly stop. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's kind of a delays, you know, basically with work and uh, and life. Uh, it's kind of hard sometimes to to get things in and, and fit in the interviews, do all the editing, get it into uh, my buddy Kelly, and he does his audio magic. So, uh, but we do have a couple already recorded. We've got another one uh, planned here real soon. And it's really just working around my uh, work schedule, uh, which has been going pretty well. In fact, I just finished my uh, OE, they call it. I don't even remember what it stands for. I think it's operational something training. I don't know what it stands for. But anyway, it's the uh, all the initial training I have to do uh, or, or initial flying I have to do with the, uh, the line check airmen to get signed off. So we just did that here a couple days ago. I just got back from Miami, uh, did a couple trips down to Cuba and back. Uh, flying some passengers, uh, so I enjoy this uh, this type of flying because I've been doing cargo and then doing passengers, so I get to do a little bit of everything. And of course, the company wasted no time putting me on the schedule, so I got to leave here again in a couple more days and uh, do some more flying down into Central America. So looking forward to that. It should be interesting. It's been a lot of fun uh, flying the uh, 737. Uh, it's uh, obviously much bigger than anything I'm used to flying, and uh, very different type of flying. A lot of IFR, obviously, and uh, talking to ATC. And, yeah, it's been a great experience, and I've been very fortunate with the line check airmen that I've been assigned to. They've been uh, just very patient and, and very forgiving of my stupid questions and, and uh, stupid things that I've done in the aircraft. I apologized to the passengers from Havana the other night, kind of slammed the nose down a little bit, uh, th- th- thought my landing was pretty smooth, didn't realize that the 
the nose was still a little bit up, hit the brakes and kind of brought the nose down. But, you know, it's 2 a.m., you, you get what you pay for. Anyhow, we'll uh, get right into the interview. Again, I appreciate all the support from uh, Patreon supporters and uh, for you guys that are listening to the show uh, wherever you listen to it. Please uh, take a moment, if you will, and you know, just leave a comment or uh, leave a, a five-star review or even a four-star review. That's fine uh, there on Apple, and it really helps the show uh, grow and reach a broader audience. So without further ado, we'll start into this week's interview. Mike McEvers joins us today. He flew OH-58 Deltas and C-12s, United States Army. And of course, the most important thing he ever did was he was my first instructor pilot when uh, I got out of flight school and showed up to my unit at Fort Bragg. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you got into flying, and we'll go from there. All right, sure. Yeah, I uh, grew up as an Army brat, spent uh, probably 12 years of my life from 79 to 91 overseas with my dad during the Cold War era. Um Got introduced to aviation when my dad uh, was a flight surgeon, went down there to the airfield and just was awestruck with, with the helicopters and all, all the good stuff. Um, and then came stateside and I joined the Army in 1992, uh, was admin specialist for a little bit. Uh, it's funny story is that I, I used to take care of the, uh, the pilots where I was stationed at my first duty station in Hawaii, the records, the 201 files. Uh, they, they'd come up, you know, you'd have some guys who look like pilots and then some other guys who didn't look like pilots, you know, warrant officer types <laughs> like ourselves. <laughs> and, and I just was sitting there and I, during lunch one time and I was just thinking, you know, where am I going to go? Where's my upward mobility? And do I really want to yeah. be an admin specialist for the rest of my life? Seriously, I, I, mean, I look at the first sergeant walking around and he doesn't seem excited. It's paperwork shuffle. And that just wasn't, I don't think in my my mantra. So, and I really wanted to do aviation uh, or, or get in there. So they had this one officer program where you can go high school to flight school, no college degree or anything like that. A guy came up, Blackhawk pilot, and he looked disheveled. I mean, Brian, you've seen him, you know, like, golly, that guy flies. <laughs> yeah. and so those were the questions I asked. I said, do you fly? It's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm a warrant officer. I've got wings. Yes, of course I fly. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so how do I do what you're doing? He goes, oh man, you know, you got to go in. It's called high school to flight school. And there's like this half inch stack of papers. Cause this was before the internet computers and all that stuff, of course, yeah. have a half stack of papers to fill out. And I was like, okay, man, point me in the right direction. <clears throat> he said, here, here's my phone number. Give me a call. If you want to, you can even go fly in a black Hawk. I was like, oh, <laughs> wow. That was exciting to me. You know, back of a black Hawk. Yeah. Um, so in the Kahukus, you know, flying low level at night, I'll do that. <clears throat> so I went there and immediately was just like, man, I, I have to do this. This is something I want to do. Uh, so I went, fill out the paperwork and, uh, submitted that packet to the board. And, uh, this was 1995 fully qualified, not select the first time. And then in 96, cause you get two looks, I resubmitted and I got picked up for flight school and that's where my journey began. And, uh, I mean, you have a brother, a twin brother. Oh, yes. I do. He, he ended up flying, too, but he, he joined a couple of years after you as far as flying. Yeah, so another race. story. So we're sitting there. We're identical twins. I mean, the only thing that's different is, different is the name of the Social Security number. I mean, we're mirror image. So, <laughs> uh, and, and maybe the body type a little bit after after the years uh, have gone by. Yeah. But, um, 
<laughs> I was I newly assigned Fort Bragg because that's where I wanted to go because that's where I knew he was going to be at. And at that time, he was a uh, maintenance uh, enlisted a guy working at the uh, QC shop, right. quality control shop. Yeah. So immediately, you can only imagine me walking in there, and then he's been there, and the the, the confusion that immediately started uh, of who's <laughs> who, especially when the tops were off and we're walking through the hangar. I remember one story uh, is that um, I was walking through the hangar shirt off. He had his shirt off, and there's some enlisted fellas doing work on a helicopter, and they say, "Hey, Sarmac, Sarmac, come over here." I'm a jokester. I was like. I was looking around to make sure I wasn't talking. You know, maybe my brother was around, but my brother wasn't around. So I walked up to the aircraft and like, hey, sorry, Mac, we got this. Can you can you TI this for us? You know, make sure everything's good to go. And I'm sitting there looking at the engine and they're like, sorry, Mac, come on, just get up there and do what you do. You know, make sure these uh, safeties are all right. I was like, safeties? Where, where, for what? <laughs> and they're like, sorry, Mac. I was like, I'm not starting Mac. They started laughing. They go, oh my gosh. You know, they, they, they didn't get it until I was just sitting yeah. there like, trying to figure out what, what, what you want me to look at. But, you know, we used to have fun, fun with stuff like that. But back to the story. So as soon as I got to the unit, I was talking to my brother and I was like, man, let's go flight school. Come on, just go to flight school, dude. It, you, you'll love it. He goes, I want to be enlisted. Yeah, I, wanna, I said, you really want to be enlisted? You know, not that it's bad. But, you know, I want you to come in here and, and, and see what aviation is all about, you know, because he wanted to have had aspirations as well. But, you know, I actually tried to get him to go in, in the buddy program when he was in Korea and I was applying uh, for flight school initially. But, you know, he would say it was too busy, which equated to drinking over there, you know, <laughs> yeah. a good time. <laughs> the national pastime when you're stationed in Korea. Exactly right. You know, just the right arm up and down, up and down or left handed for him because he's left handed. But so. Hmm. I had mentioned this a couple of times, you know, joking around the house, whatever. So one day I came over to that, uh, came to work and I had my packet. I said, Matt, I had the recommendations in there and everything. I said, Matt, you take this packet and you just change the name and social security number and submit <laughs> it and get your physical and send it away. He's like, all right, man, I'm just going to do it. So he did it. And Believe it or not, the next board that that they had, he was picked up and he was on on his way to flight school. And then fast forward, came back to Bragg. So uh, one of the unique things I had to experience, uh, and, I, and I know Matt would echo the same thing, is that it was just awesome to be there with my twin for 12 years at Bragg in the same hangar, living a mile apart from each other, and just experiencing the army army aviation life. It was just great. Yeah. No, and you guys got to play some great pranks on on new guys too. I mean, I remember showing up 2004, and I think he was in Alpha Troop, you were in Bravo or Company because we were still 182, and uh, guys coming in and, and making that mistake. Yeah. And, uh, it, I think it was Dave Ginn who was talking talking smack to you. But thinking you were your brother. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you, know. and you came back in and you were like, what's up with this dude? And, you know, and, and, and then we set up this elaborate ruse. And I remember it ended up with him being like uh, tied up and, and hosed down. Yeah. And then you and your brother walked up together and, he, and it, it, the realization dawned on him that there's two of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Dave Ginn, great guy. Great, great guy. Yeah. He, um, he was new to the unit. And he went from uh, like high school to flight school. You know, it wasn't yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, we called him Bambi. 
Bambi. Yeah, he was such a young guy, man, you know, real yeah. chipper and full of energy. Uh, so I was at the locker one day and he was like, he stood next to me opening his locker. I was getting something out and he looked at me and goes, man, we need to fuck those Red Wolves guys up, man. I'm like, to myself, I'm like, who, does he know who I am? And I said, oh, he doesn't. I said, you know what? I said, Dave, you're right, man. What, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? He was like, man, you know, I don't know, but but let's just do something because it really pissing me off. And I just, we need to fuck them up. I said, all right, man, go out in the hangar, stand by the aircraft, and I'm going to go rally the troops, and we're going to do this. He goes, all right, man. So we go in there, and that's when I come into the troop. I said, hey, Dave Gannis, is talking smack, new guy over over the other, <laughs> other other company, and we, we, we just need to get him. So the crew chiefs were there, and so we had this elaborate plan to – have Dave come over there next to the aircraft and, you know, look at something or tell something about, about what, what they were doing to the enlisted guys and enlisted guys were going to pounce on them. So the enlisted guys ended up pouncing on him and didn't we, it got him and didn't we strap him up and I think so. lift him up with his vest or no, um, no, 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 that was a different, no, one. That was was, a different one. Yeah. That was what we would do. The cadets. Yeah. That's what Boy, we this did is terrible. Cadet. We sound like terrible human no, beings right, right now. No, this was a lot of fun. Back then. <laughs> no. So we, 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 uh, pummeled him, uh, tied him up in tape and then put him in an eyewash machine and, and showered him up. Yeah. But, that's uh, great. yeah, those are the great, great <laughs> games that we used to play. And I also remember, um, I, I think it was Lieutenant Whiteside, Jake Whiteside. He was new to the, to the troop as well. Yeah. He or the company, he didn't really know twins or whatever. And, uh, I was in there talking, introduced, and then we was like, well, let's get this new LT, you know? So I had to go over coordinate with Matt because, you know, once you get there, you sort of in process, you get your vest, go to Alcee, and then you go to comma shop and whatever. So one of the pranks that we would do on other individuals was just to sit there and I'd sit there and say, Hey, you need to go to Alcee shop, get your Alcee helmet, put it on and get it ready. You need to hurry up because we're, we're time. Time is time is of the essence. So <laughs> they'd start walking. I say, "Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go." I'll meet you over there. And so they'd start running or moving fast over there. And then Matt would be there already, right? Right. You know, and they'd be like giving him his Aussie stuff. He's like, "All right, man, go over to Commo Shop, get your stuff. Let's go." So I'll meet you over. There. I'll meet you over there. I'd already be pre pro at the Commo Shop. And you know, <laughs> these guys are like out of breath. They're like, "Oh my gosh, you know what's going on here? You're fast. How is you know? he so fast? <laughs> yeah, how is he so fast? But yeah, we um." We had we had great times over there and um, uh, messing with the, with the new kids. It was just that was that was tradition, you know. If you were messed with, you yeah. were liked, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it just you got to keep having fun and you know cut down the being, you know, the training well, and all that good stuff. So it's serious business, and so you got to have fun when yes. you can. And and I mean, I remember even when I was a troop commander, we did the whole switcheroo. And, and I think you probably remember we did this once with uh, Ben Bauer when he showed up to the unit right before we left for JRTC. But um, like I had a guy like we brought a guy, a new guy in and he came into my office and I just started asking him immediately five. And I, like he went in to see the commander and suddenly he's getting asked, you know, what's what's the TGT limits? You know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And yeah. just throwing stuff at him. And then uh, I don't know if you remember Gordy. Uh, yeah. Gordy Biak comes walking into my office and he's like, what are you doing in my office? 
and he's wearing captain's rank. And so I like, oh, hey, sorry, sir. I was just playing with the new guys. And so they thought Gordy was the commander. So yep. he comes in and he starts like, you know, just mentoring them and all this stuff. And and then I roll in and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, we're just and these kids are just confused as hell. You know, they don't know what's going on. But, yeah, I used to play those. Games. Well, they want to sort of think of like they know what's going on, but they really don't because yeah they're not sure you know so it's a it's great times and like you said you know we were a close we're close-knit family you know aviation is and it's just uh, and i'm sure like other branches of the of the army are as well uh the service but uh yeah it was just play hard work hard you know yeah yeah the, the gags we we could do a whole episode quite honestly on on gags we, we but, could um, we could we'd, pro- we'd probably go to jail for some of them but yeah. uh, <laughs> Um, so going back, cause we, we did get derailed and that's my fault. But, uh, so you, I, I think you, you said 96. So when did you graduate flight school? Like 97 ish? No. Well, I got accepted in, let me rephrase that. Uh, I got to flight school in 98. I'm sorry. Time okay. was a little off and then graduated 99, got to Fort Bragg. Okay. And end okay. of October of 99. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you were at Bragg, I think, didn't you do a Kosovo or a Bosnia trip? Yeah. So I did, uh, a Kosovo or a Bosnia Tuzla with, uh, I think it was Bravo company, uh, volunteered for that for, uh, it was like six months, April to October over there. And, uh, yeah, that was a great time too. Just what was that like? Yeah. So, you know, I think that was probably the biggest, one of the, I guess, biggest deployments, you know, after K4, those units, but that I have done or any of the people that have done, except the older guys have have, did a Kosovo stint. But I mean, it was, uh, the ramp up, you know, just like, Hey, any, any other ramp up as you've been through, you know, making sure all the inventory items are counted for aircraft are in good working conditions. Everybody's up to speed with shots and all that. Uh, I was on the, uh, Advon party. So we landed, um, in Croatia to accept the helicopters. And then we flew from Croatia to Bosnia. I really didn't hit you that you're like on a deployment to, you know, to a, to an area like that. Um, until you actually get there, obviously, and you're unpacking and you're, everything's foreign. Um, and it, it was a good deployment. It wasn't a hard one, you know, they actually had us going around. Our mission was to fly around and make sure count inventory, believe it or not, of tanks and weapon systems to make sure everything's capitulated Mm. still, nothing's moved. Uh, We did do a lot of flight operations with other countries, which was good. You know, it was fun. Um, And then, you know, down there, Tulsa was the headquarters for all the nations. So, you know, they were allowed to have beer down there which was awesome. You know, um, we had beer at Tuzla, but you know, in the old good calf spirit, we got that all taken away because, uh, I'll I'll tell you a quick story if you don't mind. Sure. We were, uh, you know, we're two beer limit, all that good stuff. But the problem was that they had the first sergeants in charge of that, the beer limits. And you had these little ration cards or tokens that you could go trade in. Well, you know, after about two beers and not having beers for about, you know, four months, everybody was, you know, feeling good and frisky. And uh, they had this <laughs> mill van filled with beer. And I guess somebody's job was to go out there and account for it. Be like, okay, there's 800 people. So two beers a piece. If they all drink that 1600 max. Well, fast forward after that night, uh, it was actually before we were leaving, we we're doing the, the changeover and had another beer night. And so everybody was drinking beers and just having a good time. Uh, then 
the next week or so, there's an inventory done and the incoming colonel or commander uh, was very pissed off because there was like almost zero beer left. And that meal van full of beer was supposed to last for subsequent, you know, <laughs> <laughs> parties or whatever. But uh, yeah, so he got so pissed off. And um, I heard that the backstory was, is that a family member or son or something was injured, killed or whatever by a drunk driver. So he took all that beer and had the, the local nationals just sit there and pour all the beer out of that mill van. And there was no more beer oh, after wow. that. Yeah. So we, we got a, a lot of fodder for that from, from the incoming unit um, down the road, you know, when we're used to sit and talk about those stories, but yeah, which is a, you can't trust uh cab guys with beer, man. I'll tell you that. Uh, no, there's always yeah. some, some Joe that's going to screw it up for you. Yeah. Yeah. So other, <laughs> other than that, it was, it was a nice, good flying time, good experience, you know, flying over there. Uh, had a great time. Yeah. So the main thing, I guess, like we talked about before starting is, is talking about OIF and particular experiences with the, the initial invasion in Tyrak in, uh, 2003. Um, so you were in Bravo company, first battalion 82nd uh yeah. it was aviation regiment back then yeah as part of the aviation uh, or the uh, 82nd airborne division so i mean tell us a little bit about like that build up so obviously everyone kind of knew you know this was coming what was that like when you guys got notified like how did that process go from being yeah. just peter pilot and you guys are training to now sudden like hey we're going to go do this thing yeah so you know um we got notified and I'll just tell you my, the way I felt and, and probably what the atmosphere was, you know, everybody was raring to go. I mean, you know, the stories, you've heard the stories, you've, you felt the feelings of man, you know, let's go and, and do this, uh, because of the events that, that took place. Um, when we were contacted, I think there was a, a, a mixed, you know, at the same time, like a jubilation, let's go, man. And then like, Oh man, we're act like actually going to go and and yeah. potentially do some stuff, you know, yeah. put our training to use. So we got notified, um, and then uh, I'm just going to go ahead and fast forward uh, if you want to to when we actually got there. So we get we, sure. um, if that's okay. Well, was there any special train? Like, how much time was there from notification to? Deployment? Yeah, you know, I want to say there's probably. I'm, I'm probably six months notification, probably six to eight months. Um, and then, I mean, the, the training just ramped up, you know, the deal yeah. we, we were out there starting to really, you know, do the, uh, team tactics, uh, yeah. and, and doing the team maneuvers and going to gunneries, you know, shooting crap loads of 50 cal and, and rockets and just refining those skills, trying to, you know, really refine using the symbology of the aircraft um, as we were trained back then uh, to, to, right. to help us, you know, uh, with with our with our combat maneuvers. Um, and then it was just it was business. You know, it was all business. There was you know talk, you know, amongst each other. Of, uh, hey, what we're going to do or how we're going to do this. And I think it really, um, really people got closer because now they're like, Hey, you know, we're on a team. You're watching my back. I'm watching your back. And it was like training was, was, was ramped up and, and, and it went to a different level, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so 
Once How did you guys it. prepare for, like, because you kind of touched on it, the the old school idea of, of employing helicopters, particularly like the Kiowa, was this sort of hovering, hiding behind stuff, using the yeah, site, using the yeah, symbology. So. And now you're going to this new environment. Was there any training that was focused on that? Or was it like OJT, you just got to the desert and suddenly realized, like, well, we got to fly differently. We got to do things differently. No. So that's a great, great Great question and, and great point that you bring up. So, you know, um, we were still, believe it or not, because we hadn't been in any conflicts uh, uh, except uh, Desert Storm in 91, right. right? And that was fast, right? So did you really get to employ or, or work on some of your tactics? Yes, you did. Aviation, you know, it was like 100 hours of, you know, and then we're done. So now we're training and the and to me there wasn't really any emphasis like with the older guys who who were there on on flying differently based off of the yeah. Cold War stuff, you know, the, the late uh, 80s early 90s when the Cold War ended, right? Yeah. So yes, we went out there hover fire, you know, we still had air to air stingers on our aircraft, mm-hmm. you know, um, high hovers, uh, hovering rocket fire and all that stuff. So we were training what was already had been trained and what appeared to, to work. Right. So, you know, we were doing that, but, um, it did change when we uh, went to the desert and actually were starting to get engaged and starting, you know, to actually have to fly the aircraft differently. And, you know, so, um, we get there and, Kuwait airport, TA champion, and there's nothing there. There's nothing. We're set up in the, we're, we're supposed to set up in the middle of the airport. So they got these Bedouin tents that we had to set up by ourselves. They had some contractors setting up tents, but you know, we're out there uh, trying to figure out how to set these big circus tents up. So we, you know, set up the, the, the circus tents. And then all of a sudden this little village starts becoming a little mini city. You know, you start to get the mail, start to get, get uh phone calls back to the rear you know which sketchy you know and laundry services and and all that good stuff so that started to build up but the whole time we were there our primary mission was to go in there and take baghdad airport that is what we were trained for that's what uh swanick was his name colonel colonel swanick he was the commander and this was our orders we're going to go take this airfield so we trained for that particular mission. We had um, a sand uh, table set up of Baghdad mm-hmm. airport. And I remember going in there night after night, talking with all the crews, checkpoints, times, you know how we used to do it. Hey, who's talking to who? What's your maneuver here? What are your, what is your first? Uh, priority, uh, what's your sector? What are you going to do after that? So it was like, it was intense. And and during that whole process, you're sitting there like, okay, yeah, we left Bragg. Okay. We're in Kuwait. And now when you start training that, you're like, actually like, okay, this is probably going to happen, you know? And so the talk afterwards, after these tables, I mean, it was constant back and forth with, with the crews or, or with your teammates, you know, Hey, what do we do? Where we go? Okay. What are you going to do? What do you, you know, war gaming stuff, even after that training and those briefings, 
uh, for that mission. That was our mission to go in there, drop in uh, infantry. I think it was 325 was going to drop in there, take that airfield uh, airport, and we were going to follow in and, and work jointly with them to uh, take take that uh, Baghdad. Yeah, because back then, I mean, a lot of the training, even, um, you know, even up until, gosh, 2008 or so, we were we were still doing all that airland training yeah. of the, you know, packing the aircraft up into a C-130, guys jump in, take the airfield, minutes later, the C-130 lands, push the 58s out the back, unfold the blades, you know, squat them or unsquat them, I guess, and then take yeah, off. So- now they've got air support, you know. Yeah, so that's that's as you know that's that's uh, was was eighty seconds bread and butter, right? Loading up two K dubs on the back of a C one thirty and having them done within thirty minutes and and doing ops for that. <clears throat> so we train on that a lot, and I, I, that's that's another another good good observation too. Is we trained for that all the time to the buildup, you know, and uh, getting those crew chiefs ready to go. Everybody had a blade. Everybody had a position, you know, getting in the aircraft, going all the way up to battery, you know, and, and getting that completed. So when that C-130 takes off that, you know, we, we'd be out and, and up and supporting those ground guys. We're, those yeah. ground guys, you know, loved, loved the K-Dub. You know that. We were like yeah. pre- precious cargo, man. They felt 100% safer <laughs> when we were the eyes and ears uh, watching yeah. over them and, and supporting them. And to sort of put that training into context, because I don't want to gloss over it, because it was pretty in, in, in depth. Um, but what we're talking about the whole airland thing, because we used to practice that again here all the time at Bragg, mm-hmm. was we were on Simmons Airfield, and then you had Pope Air Force Base, which I believe is now is Pope Army Airfield. Yeah. Um, but they had a building, and this little tiny building, and in the inside of this building, it was basically a building just big enough to hold a C-130 uh, fuselage. Yeah, it's an old derelict one or something. Yeah. And so we would, you know, guys would drive over there with the equipment, but then we would fly two birds over there. And it was probably the most challenging landing I've ever had to do was landing in that parking lot. I know. You right? know what I mean? It was so tight. And I mean, there was those giant light poles. And I mean, yes. it was the one time where, you know, kidding, pretty much had to come to a high hover and then come straight down. Yeah. And you couldn't exactly see where right. you're going. But you'd land there, shut down. And then we would fold up. So, so of course, the KW's got four blades, but you had to park them in just the, the right way because they could all pivot on a hinge because mm-hmm. they had two pins per blade. You take one of the pins out, they would hinge. And then you had this weird-ass spider-looking contraption that you would hook onto the tail boom, and it had these sleeves. And so the blades would fold back and, and put into these sleeves. And typically, you'd use what we called a blade wand, but I was a human blade wand because I'm so tall. But you'd walk it, you'd, you'd lock it into these sleeves. And then the we had special landing gear that would, could, could squat down. So, I mean, the belly of the aircraft was, I don't know, a, a couple inches off the ground, two or three mm-hmm. inches maybe. And then we had what the, the tail, the vertical tail, you would unbolt that and it would rotate down, down 90 degrees. Yeah. Yep. And then you had and those, then, had to manhandle uh, those wheels to fit in to those yeah. holes to jack that thing yeah. up. And then you had to take yeah. the on the side off. You had to hook it up onto the side and lower it down. And Yeah. Man, yeah, there was, was a little winch, right? There was yeah, a little, little winch, winch. Yeah. that attached to the side of the aircraft. There was like locking points. So you'd put this little winch on. It would grab the mass-mounted sight. They would unscrew the mass-mounted sight, and this winch would then 
allow you to pull it off, lower it, and it would be tucked on to the side of the aircraft. It would kind of lock in so it wouldn't be flapping around because it's, you know, it's like a couple hundred pounds. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, like you said, we'd have to get those, those wheels, which are basically like a, a, a set of two big wheels on a pneumatic pump and it would clip into the landing gear and you would just pump it with your hand and somebody yep. would stand at the back and hold the tail stinger and three people could push that aircraft, yep. you know, cause it weighed, you know, I think the max gross weight was 5,200, but of course with no pilots and no ammo on board, yeah, you know, it's right. much less, but we would roll it in. And, and I mean, you could not fit a, a piece of paper between two <laughs> aircraft. Once you got it on that C-130 and you had to go in just the right way. I think you had to put the first one in, like nose first with the tail cocked off to one yep. side. Then the second one, you had to slide it in tail, tail cocked first. off. And, yeah. and I mean, if you were off by a frog's hair, you couldn't close the doors and you had to do it. And then yeah. of course the real challenge was unfolding it. So the idea was, you know, and they would time us. Cause I think bell said it was like 15, 20 minutes, but it, mm-hmm. it was like you said about 30 minutes realistically, yeah. but you'd push that thing off real quick and you'd have teams, right? Because the you know in real world you'd have the pilots, and then you'd have some crew chiefs on board, and uh, and everyone else is kind of standing around watching. But you'd push those things off as fast as you could, uh, but as safely as you could, and yeah. then quickly unfold everything, throw everything back on. I think I think you'd unfold the blades, and then the pilots would get in and start getting ready, and then the crew chiefs are putting the MMS on top, and you know, yeah, 30 minutes later you've got a team of two Kiowas ready to to get into the fight. But let's put that in a little bit more context, right? So mm. do this. So that was loading up during the day. So let's yeah. now go at night on a, yeah. on a dirt strip, yeah. right? And with shooting going on. <laughs> with shooting, yeah, with shooting going on. And, you know, with crew chiefs, you have to trust because they're putting the blade bolts in, right? They're yeah. putting the vertical yeah. fin up. Yeah, you you're know, not so doing a pre flight. <laughs> yeah, you're not doing a pre flight, you know? So the that that's one of the things that, you know, made, made us so tight, we were doing something unique yeah. under, you know, austere conditions and, and having tr- trust and faith in one another. And then, you know, starting that aircraft up and taking off and, you know, going to have a successful yeah, mission. I don't think yeah. any other unit in the army did the, the Kiowa unit in the army did what, what we did. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that was unique to us. And you're right about the, like, and my wife even says it to this day, like the, the Bravo company, slash bravo troop time frame like those guys 2004 to you know 2006 2007 you know when you and i were there and stuff like that was the tightest i'd ever been with a unit in my entire career i agree and you know and i think a lot of those because of what you what you just talked about yeah those are the times that i speak of most because of that yeah you know yeah. i mean i had great t- times uh, aside from that but you talking about tightly knit close everybody yeah. knew the job family team cohesive unit that those were the times yeah so going back to oif we keep diverging but that's yeah, okay I, I love it no it's fine i that's good stuff um i mean people people like hearing it too uh so but obviously the jump into baghdad did not happen so what did happen what did you guys end up doing yeah so um that didn't happen and so now um we were to uh, take on a new mission um, and we're sort of jumping ahead, but we had to convoy. We convoyed up from Kuwait, lights out. Some flew the aircraft up to Talil Air Base. That was the place where we were yeah. going to start our operations out of because, you know, that's 
what our mission was going to be. So we took, I think it was 18 hours or something in dark, traveling up these roads, crossing over the berm into Iraq. And one of the the, the things that have always stuck with me is like, we're up, we're, we're driving up the highway of death, right? Yeah. So there was still remnants of vehicles and stuff. And I remember driving by, it was like a movie, slow motion. You're sitting out there. <clears throat> so we had our weapons, everybody, you know, some more officers in the back of a Humvee with our freaking M4s <laughs> out the window, trying to stay awake, stay alert, <laughs> stay alive, st- sort, of, sort of stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, and we're like all jacked up on monsters or whatever. And so the first couple of hours were like, and then as the hours got longer, you started seeing right. people fall off and fall asleep, you know, and, and sort of do that nap jerk trying to get up. So <laughs> that adrenaline had worn off, but uh, we're doing this all the way. And then we did a couple of stops um, <clears throat> throughout that. But I remember just, I, I just dozed off a little bit or whatever. And it's just like right at you know beginning of the morning and I'm just looking around and there's this vehicles burning up, you know, because the unit had obviously gone up before us. There's a vehicle burning on, on the side of the road, and there was this dead Iraqi person in there, like frozen in time, wasn't burning, was smoldering still. And that right there was when like, okay, this is for real. You know, right. when you see something yeah. like that, you're just like, I, I just, yeah. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, so we're just keep on cruising by and, you know, that was, that was the talk for a little bit. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is for real. We're going to do this. So we, we get up to Talil and I mean, it's, it's, Talil was the, was really, really bombed really, really hard by the air force, um, in 91. So it was still, you know, remnants. You could see the, the bunker busters and all that good stuff that had gone in there. Um, and then obviously it was bombed again before the initial push up. So we're here and in this area with these blown out bunkers, bats all in them, bat shit, like to tall as you, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, where we're going to set up shop. So the first couple of nights, you know, we, uh, we slept out underneath the stars and under the Humvees and trying to get organized and all that good stuff. So we started set, setting the tents up, the command center and all that good stuff up. So we got, <clears throat> so that whole thing's going down. And in the beginning, we were just, you know, sitting around. And when I mean sitting around, we're not sitting around. We're, we're, we're doing things, but we're just trying to figure out what our next mission is going to be. Right. Because, you know, Baghdad was uh, was uh, 3rd Infantry Division had, had taken that out, I believe. But so since the 3rd ID had moved up so fast, you know, they bypassed all these little towns like um, Basra, uh, Nazaria, and then uh, uh, Samoa. So British... We're going to take care of Basra. The Marines, because they're good at door-to-door stuff, because there had been a lot of, you know, uh, fake surrenders there, you know, people coming in and, and uh, IED stuff. So they, they're sending the Marines in to go door-to-door and sort of clean that up. Our mission got changed from Baghdad to uh, Asamoah to go up there and cordon off that city um, and work with 325 um, to... to clean, clean that uh, area out. So that was our mission to do that. Um, so that's when we started flying ops out of Toledo. Uh, some, you know, and this is our first desert flying, right? I mean, we haven't landed in moon dust. We haven't experienced the total pitch dark blackness, you know, with no, 
uh, contours in the terrain. So it was challenging. We set up a FARP, you know, and, and one of the biggest challenges, uh, we were doing blackout ops immediately when we went there. No lights, just MVGs. And you can imagine, Brian, flying at night under MVGs, no celestial loom, coming into a FARP that was just set up and trying to land on the moon. Because that's exactly what it was like. All that training yeah. where, you know, we've, we've done these before. We'll go out to St. Mary or whatever and just go down there, land, and check out the chin bubble, right? Because that's yeah. your point of reference. Yeah. Um, that was challenging. And in the beginning, you know, there were, the, there were a lot of, you know, goal rounds um, until we can get that, uh, what is it, rhino snot, whatever it's called, where they could just uh, hose it down and keep some of that stuff from, um, mm. from coming up. But it was so risky and so bad uh, that we uh, that the decision was made to not do blackout ops anymore until we you know could figure figure something else out. So that that was because yeah, you're landing blind. I mean, just hundred yeah. percent. Like I know I know Navy fighter pilots get a lot of credit for landing on carriers, but landing in a brownout condition in the dark under MVGs with no lights is is terrifying. And yep. you just there's a lot of faith involved. You know, exactly. you're like, well, the ground was there a second ago. It's probably still there. Exactly. And you know trying to figure out which way the body's moving, you know, as you're coming down and you feel one skid hit because it's left skid low, then your mind's yeah. telling you, oh, you're, you're going to the right, but you give more left because you're not unsure because of the terrain. You can't see any movement you know, to get yourself oriented, it's, it's probably one of the most challenging and scariest things that I, that I've ever done is landing under conditions of like that, you know, yeah. just forward and, and down, especially forward for you down. guys, because you weren't, you weren't practicing it back home. Yeah, like the sand exactly. at St. Mare is not the same, you know, as it is in the desert. And, uh, at least there's some sort of reference, but yeah, there's just nothing out there. And we would like to think that though, right. You know, when, if you back up, if we're out there training, you're like, oh man, yeah. this is, this is how it's going to be. And it's not at all. No, no. So, um, once we got everything situated to Leo, we started doing just missions and uh, a lot of our missions were, you know, looking for military age males, you know, which was always funny to me because everybody was <laughs> a military age male, you know, um, and we, we just have missions to go out there and support the ground guys, you know, just fly around uh, and, and, and help them out when they're needed. Um, one of the experiences that I had that really defined the moment in my flying career and the training that we had was uh, Tim Lawson. He was also called Bambi. He was uh, my, um, my stick buddy, you know, through the whole couple of months that we were there. Uh, I remember him. I yeah. think he became an instructor. Yeah, Safety. he was going through IPC when I went through flight school, I want to say. That that may be Brian Lawson. I think Tim Lawson. Oh, that's Brian Lawson. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, different yeah. yeah so okay. Tim Lawson was uh, was a safety guy, I believe. Okay. But, so okay. We're, we were um, providing overwatch and security for, for some ground guys. And uh, we're like, oh, okay, we'll just come up here. And we're about three Ks off. We'll get the MMS. We'll just pull up to a high hover here, you know into the wind. So we pull up to a high hover and it, I, I remember very distinctly that it was next to like a, a tree. I, I don't know what kind of tree, but it was a tree. It was probably off to our left, probably about 20 feet. And it was one of those big sh trees that you couldn't really see through it. You know, it was just, I'm sitting here thinking like, do they have trees here like that? You know, I guess so. So anyways, I pull up next to it. We're sitting there, Brian's work or Tim's working the site. And all of a sudden, very faintly, you hear like microwave popcorn. 
Cause that's what it sounds like, right? You've been there and you know, you've, you've been shot at. It's like AK 47 sounds like yeah. popcorn in a microwave. There's a pop, 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 you know? So yeah. Brian or Tim's like, we're taking fire. We're taking fire. I'm like, I'm looking around out front, left and right. I'm like, I don't see anybody. There's no buildings here. What are you talking about? And then sure enough, you hear think, think, think. And you look down below and there's a Bedouin dude in black pajamas or whatever. Well, the AK-47 shooting at us, trying to, you know, <laughs> do whatever. So we pull off, and that's the last time that I ever pulled up to a hover anywhere mm. on that yeah. um, on that deployment. That is yeah. when I was like, okay, we're not doing this anymore. This is not going to work. We can't do this, you know. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, you know, those are some of the challenges, you know, lessons learned, you know, learn, learn as you go. Um you know, and then as we started supporting these uh, infantry guys, you know, um, it just started to get, you know, a little bit more intense, you know, because you actually see them in their breaching buildings, you know, hear the stuff going on, on the radio, you know, the, the not so good stuff sometimes. Uh, but, um, yeah, that was uh, that was our mission to, to, to help take care of uh, Osama uh, the whole time that we were there. Uh, How long was that deployment for? So it was from May to, or sorry, February to May. It was a short deployment. Yeah, real short. Yeah. Um, So it was just kind of the main conflict and then you guys went home. Yeah. And then subsequent to that, a couple months later, they got, uh, they got redeployed. I went to uh, IPC school, instructor pilot course, but um, Yeah. yeah, so it was learning lessons as well. Um, you, you know, we used to do call for fires all the time, right? Yeah. Um, and we used to practice and practice and practice. Well, <clears throat> one of our missions was to see if there was, you know, any equipment out or if people, you know, enemy vehicles and stuff were supposed to, you know, assess the situation and, and do a course of action. So on one of these missions, I forget who it was, me, Tim Lawson, Captain Dave Phillips at the time. And I, I want to say he was with Mark Teden. I'm not sure. Don't call me on that. But I know it was <laughs> was Captain Phillips, company commander. We're out there and we see some targets that we're going to shoot artillery on. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, yep. And here we are. We're just doing our figure eights. You know, I used to do figure eights, keep, keep the uh, sight on the target yeah. and start making the call to red leg and uh captain phillips is reading the grid whatever the numbers were and i and i just for, for some reason i looked down and i was like whoa well hold on a second that's pretty close you know <laughs> and then i say captain phillips hey that's the wrong grid i give him the grid and he goes okay so he reads the grid back to red leg red leg reads the first grid that he gave to him. And, you know, you got to understand we're, we're in there. It's like sort of intense. We're going to do an artillery fire. We're going to shoot some, some things up. Right. Yeah. So I don't know what was going on in the cockpit, but that grid was acknowledged as like Roger. And then the guy goes, okay, confirm blah, whatever. And then captain Phillips goes, Roger fire for effect. So we're in this, we're over this field and there's some goats with a goat farmer. And then if you can picture this, probably, I don't know, um, 
300 yards to the left, there's like some undulating ground that goes up about probably mm-hmm. four or 500 feet and same on the right. So you're like in a mini valley. Yeah. So they say fire over, fire out. And then time of flight was like, I don't know, I want to say probably like 20 seconds. So we're sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And we're just doing our figure eights in our same location. And it caught me off guard that I was like, I just shook because no crap, literally on the right side of my aircraft, if let's just say North for, for visual perspective, I'm doing figure eights, which I'm the, just the number eight, but I'm always turning uh, on the inbound to the north. Okay. Right. So that's where right. the target's at, to the north. Mm-hmm. And so got the goat herder to the north. So as I'm coming back down, turning to the south, I look out to my left and I see a big, huge explosion. I'm like, oh my Whoa. gosh. And then I see another explosion. It was like a uh, 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 six pack pattern, you know, one left, one right, one left, one right. right, one left, one right. And as I'm seeing the third one hit, I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, we're like ceasefire, ceasefire. You never want to hear a ceasefire, you, you yeah. know, or a check fire, check fire. You never want to hear that. So check fire, check fire. So we're sitting there hauling butt, trying to go to the north to get out of the range of these things because we're figuring out that they're firing on our position. <laughs> and I'm literally, it was like a movie. I'm we're like yeah. low level, like 20 feet, 30 feet off the ground. You see that the goat herder sitting there looking up, trying to get a, uh, get, <laughs> get what's going on. He's running, you know, to the same direction we are because he sees the explosions and it's like the explosions, like we're like just keeping up right of being the aircraft. Boom, 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 okay. boom. And I thought, and I was in the, I was in the cockpit. I was just like, Head sunk it sunk into my shoulders, like just trying to, you know, close right. my eyes and just like, oh, I hope make nothing hits small. me. <laughs> yeah, make myself small inside the cockpit. So that was a lesson learned too. It was that was pretty uh, pretty intense, but uh, you know, just uh, one of those things that it's not, you know, when you get into those situations and you know the adrenaline starts pumping, you get started getting excited, you know, little yeah. stuff like that, you know, can be missed. But uh, yeah, that was a lesson learned too as well, you know. We never yeah. called artillery after that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and you were talking about the figure eights for people. What he's saying is the the sight on the, the Kiowa is up on top like a periscope, but it couldn't turn 360 degrees. It couldn't just spin around. It could only spin, I want to say, back 190 degrees. So it would kind of go off center, you know, either side. Yeah. But um, So what you would do is if your target was ahead of you, you would turn, you know, left and kind of fly uh, sort of like a 45 degree angle away from it and the site could still look back at the site, then you at the target and then you go a little ways and you turn back in towards the target and then you'd fly outbound 45 degrees or so the opposite direction. And then the site would be over the left side and kind of looking back. So you always kept the site on the target, but the aircraft was kind of doing this figure eight sideways figure eight pattern, uh, which yeah, became pretty standard. Um, and like we talked about when you're in the desert hovering for one, I mean, hovering is just challenging because the temperature, I mean, granted it was, it was a uh, cooler months, but still cooler months in, uh, in Iraq are still hot as balls. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, let's be honest. And the aircraft doesn't, <laughs> the aircraft doesn't like to hover very heavy and very hot. Of course, back then, weren't you guys, uh, wasn't the weight, uh, max gross weight still 55. Yeah. It got increased to 55. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So- um, yeah, but still, I mean, 
you're straining the guts out of it, I'm sure, to try to hover. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of intense planning with you know fuel and sure. weapon loads and you know yeah. based off of the mission require or what what it called for. So, and you're still taking off in that thing, just scrub scrubbing the uh, rubbing the uh, yeah. skids on the ground before uh, ETL effective transitional lift. So. Yeah, I remember in Afghanistan up in the mountains trying to take off and, you know, sometimes just aborting the takeoff because, like, I can't I can't get up. We got to sit here for a little bit and burn off some yeah. gas. Yeah, exactly but right. But to go back to the tactics and stuff, you know, I, I went through flight school 2003. In fact, I, I think I, yeah, 2003, 2004. Um, and our, our pinnacle, like our last flight in the Kiowa uh, track, they used to do this big mission. It was like a six aircraft. So it was like your whole class mm-hmm. um, would go out and, you know, you would sit left seat and there would be an instructor pilot in the right seat. And you had three teams of two. And I remember uh, I was flying with this W4 who had not, you know, had not deployed obviously because things were just starting off. And then the other aircraft, our, our lead was flown by a guy named Tracy Hobbs who had just come back. I think he was in third infantry division and he had just come back from the invasion and um and so we go out to do this mission and the guy i'm flying with could not keep up with him because tracy is just out there just just juking and jiving and, and turning and burning and yeah. you know, doing all this stuff and this other guy he's trying to do the old school cold war bounding overwatch you know you know move from tree line to tree line stuff and i remember him at one point he's just kind of like frustrating because I, I don't know what he's doing i i can't I can't keep up with him. I don't know what he's doing, but it was just that contrast of, of training and experience where Tracy had come from, just like you're talking about yeah. where there was nowhere to hide. There was no hovering. It was just, you're constantly on the go. And the problem with that is, you know, if you're in a limited space that you can work, well, you gotta, you gotta keep moving. You gotta stay in that space. So you just gotta keep, you know, doing a lot of tight turns and, and weird stuff that, uh, if you're not used to it, you have not practiced can be very, very different. Yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right. You know, and uh, wow. we, you know, we started to, uh, I was talking about symbology and using that. I mean, that sort of like went out the window pretty fast, <laughs> you know, because yeah. just didn't have time to sit out there and use the symbology, you know. So we, we, you know, the deal, we ended up going old school, you know, grease pencils yeah. on the, on the, on the windscreen. I mean, yeah, hate to say it, you know, all that technology in there, but sometimes technology just doesn't work in some of the situations you're in. Yeah, especially predominantly on the deployments that we did, you know. Yeah, the the environment and the setup time. I mean, I think, you know, obviously you got to use symbology with when you're shooting hellfires and stuff. But yeah, with rockets and stuff, I think the only time and I think you showed me this trick um, because, you know, when I showed up to a unit for listeners don't understand how it works, you know, you go through flight school, but you come out the other end you're a basic pilot, you know, basically how to fly the aircraft. You don't understand team tactics. You don't, you don't understand any of that stuff. And so you go through training with an instructor pilot. So Mike was mine. Um, and we flew together for, I mean, exclusively for about six months while you were yeah. doing all my train up. Um, in fact, I remember bitching to you about like, how long do we have to keep doing this? And you were like, <laughs> yeah. Dave, Dave, Dave says, I can't sign you off until, you know, cause back then it was like, you guys were like, if you have six months, then it's going to take six months. doesn't matter yeah. how good you are. We're going to use every ounce of that training time. And I understand that looking yeah. back, but at the time it was very frustrating because it was yeah. like, how, I was like, how many more freaking auto rotations do I have to do? And you're like, I know, man, you know, but, um, but to go back to symbology, I mean, I remember doing gunnery and we were still shooting MPSMs yeah. uh, back then. And, and you had to do it from a hover mm-hmm. and you, and, and you had to use symbology, you know, to do that. 
but I remember the trick and I've even told people since then, like the trick was you were like, well, you have to do it from a hover, but technically if you kind of drift forward at like 20 knots, you're still technically hovering, Yes. but you get a much stable, more stable platform because otherwise if you're straight trying to hover, you're dancing on the pedals, trying to get it lined up and you know, it's just not going to work. No, that's, Um, that's exactly right. You know? Yeah. No, we had, we had good times flying. I, I, I really enjoyed uh, flying with you during the progression. Cause you, you know, you weren't a yeller. You're not a, you're not a, a, a beat somebody up. You're very chill and uh, it made yeah, it a so much easier experience. Speaking of, yeah. Speaking of that training, you remember when we were over Shaw road that one day we were doing FADEC. So we were doing uh, FADEC, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think we I know were, where you're going with this. Yeah. We were, uh, doing, um, turning we're down in, in, in the downwind yeah and for some reason i think there may have been uh i don't know miscommunication or whatever it, it's not that's not the point the point is that right fadec manual operations is a maneuver where you, essentially you go from having an automatic transmission to a, a, a motorcycle stick shift right so you manipulate that throttle and the throttle is what gives you power. You turn it to the left, you more power, turn it to the right, more power. And we can sit here and talk aerodynamics and all that good stuff. But essentially the more load that's on the aircraft uh, rotor system, the more power you have to give. So when you're slowing down, you're sort of essentially lowering the collective, which was, reduces the pitch in the blades, which uh, uh, effectively just uh, reduces the drag. So less power. We were coming in and everything was looking nice. And then I don't know um, exactly how we got there, but the rotor dropped, right? Yeah. I think yeah. we were coming in a little too fast or whatever. And yeah, we, I'm trying to remember what, because I remember exactly so, what you're talking about. Yeah, so we decided um, to, I, I decided, you gave some, I gave some, reduced the power, but the rotor yeah. was going up so we reduced the collective and then we increased the power i think we're yeah. doing the same thing we're we're doing it twice when you only need to do it once right yeah so the rotor drooped and one of the emergency procedures for that is if the rotor gets out of uh tolerance is to re- uh reduce the throttle reduce the collective and then put it back into the auto mode yeah well it was one of those decisions as I'm sitting there like everything's happening and I'm like looking down, you see a tro- uh, mobile home park in Shaw Road and I'm like just thinking real fast, oh my gosh, you know, those guys are going to wake up to a helicopter in the yard. But <laughs> so uh, immediately reduce that throttle, reduce the collective, put it in auto, waited for everything to happen. And I want to say that we rolled up the throttle and we were like literally pulling up right at treetop level. And then that's at, at, at that point, we looked at each other and said, you know what, maybe we not do FADEC today the rest of the day yeah. just go on to do other training, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think, um, I, yeah, I can't remember. I think there was some sort of miscommunication in the cockpit between the two of us. And then, yeah, we started kind of both putting in inputs or, or, or we were just over, in, you know, putting yeah. inputs or something. I think it started kind of chasing the, of, the rotor system. I think it was towards the end yeah. of the day and the training and we're just, you yeah. know. But um, yeah. of all the maneuvers in that helicopter – and I think you could probably agree anyways, from an instructor po- uh, pilot point of view, you know, when we did those, the, the FADEC ops, that was like one of the ma- maneuvers where you just had to pay attention to everything all the time and, you know, be able to, to read that aircraft. Um, but, you know, well, once you start, 
I was going to say, I think that incident happened too, right before or right after Forrest and Candace had their yeah. FedEx mm-hmm. crash. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, they, and we were like, that was literally the same thing that happened to us. We just, we had altitude to yes. correct for it because they were a pro on the approach when it yeah. happened. Yeah. 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 Exactly right. So, uh, but of all maneuvers of anything that you can do in that aircraft, all the training that, that is the, 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 the one that's most nervy to me. It has always been, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and they stopped doing it too. Yeah. Yeah. You they know, did. I not mean, long after that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, well, but, Scott uh, Nance made me do that for my, uh, my, my PC check ride in Missoula. Um, <laughs> he, he was, we're sitting on the ground in a diamondback and he's like, all right, put it in manual mode. And, you know, and we're doing all hovering and stuff. And he's like, all right, so I want you to take off, do a traffic pattern, but you need to stay inside the fence line. I'm like, wait a minute, you want mm-hmm. me to take off in manual mode? I've never done this. He's like, Oh, it, it's fine. And I'm like, but you want me to stay inside the pet, the, the fence line? Cause you know, it, we'd always do these giant B 52 traffic yeah. patterns when yeah. you're in FADEC mode. Cause mm-hmm. you have like this mile and a half final. And it's like, now you want me to do it within, you know, a quarter mile or something. And, uh, yeah, I was like totally unprepared for that, but yeah, of anybody who was a pro at that Scott Nance was cause he did the same thing with me and I was an instructor, but I was like, it was like, yeah. uh, the, the scene from top gun, you, you want me to do what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, him and Dave Wilson, I mean, Dave was, Dave could fly it manual mode the way you and I just fly it normally, you know, mm-hmm. he just yeah. figured out, all right, it's easy, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, that's how it used to be back in the day, you know, I mean, guys in vietnam i'm pretty sure all the aircraft you know they had to modulate the throttle so essentially what we're talking about is you're you're basically you're managing the gas input to the engine versus the 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 governor deciding how much gas exactly you know um which yeah if you if you give it a little bit too much gas then the rotor is going to go too fast and you got to load the rotor a little bit so there was a process and if you had plenty of space and time you know yeah it was easy but if you were trying to do it and maneuver at the same time, it, it could get pretty squirrely if you're not used to it. Yeah. None of us were. I mean, you yeah. guys did it pretty good because you had to do it all the time. But yeah. But yeah, that's funny that you remember that because I, I mean, I barely remember that. But as soon as you started talking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, we almost we almost crashed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, when we've talked about OAF uh, and then, of course, you did multiple deployments. I mean, we all went back in what, 2006. Six. Yeah. Um. And then I think it was after that you went fixed wing. Yeah, I went to fixed wing um, in 2000 and when we got back and then uh, yeah. 2007 to 10, I, I flew uh, yeah. King Airs. But uh, yeah, you know, you speak of like my wife's my historian because I get dates and years and deployments <laughs> yeah. all mixed up because, you know, there was there were several, you know, but um yeah. yeah, you just learned it. You learn something new every, every deployment. You know, things yeah. change, environment changed, circumstances changed. So, and then you, uh, I, I mean, I remember telling you before you went to fix wing, I was like, you're going to be bored, and you're like, oh no, it's going to be awesome. And then I think the la- the last time I saw you physically, you had just come back to the squadron, and I was leaving, and that was like 2011, I think. Yeah, you're right. You, you know, you and, were uh, coming back. <laughs> you were probably you were right. I did get get bored, but the experience was great. You know, it, sure. it opened up another door, as as you you know, well. Yeah. It, you know, a lot of helicopter guys get tunneled into doing medevac or whatever afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but now they have programs in place. You know, 
rotary wing to, to, to air carrier these days. So, so it's opened a lot of doors, but yeah, uh, I came back, um, because I heard that 82nd was deploying again and mm -hmm. I knew I was close to retirement pretty soon. And I wanted to do one more deployment with my twin with Matt. So mm -hmm. I turned down a jet transition, um, out of Wiesbaden and stay another two years in Germany to come back to uh, fly one, oh, more, really? uh, one, do one more rodeo with, with the 82nd and my brother. So that, oh. um, I remember Scott Bonner. Um, he was the, uh, uh, guy up at department of the army, uh, assignments mm -hmm. man manager. And I said, Scott, man, you gotta hook me up. He's like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, I, I need to go back to brag. He goes, you want to do what? I said, yeah, I want to go back to brag. He goes back to brag. He like, he's like repeated everything I said like twice. I said, yeah. Right. <laughs> he goes, you sure? I said, yeah, man. So it was done. So we, uh, deployed or I got back to brag and then, um, I, I was actually part of, uh, they stood up Fox troop. Yeah. Um, at that time. And then I was the stance pilot for a unique unit who I was for Apaches and Kata and Kyle Warriors, K-Dubs. Um, cause we Fox troop was Apaches and Kyle Warriors. So that, that was a, a pretty neat thing to, to be the SP for both of those airframes. And, um, I didn't train in the Apache, but you know, I was a stance pilot, just make sure everything administratively and flight wise were uh, consistent with, uh, both, both, uh, both, both aircraft. We also started doing pink teams again, pink teams, uh, are, uh, where they have a scout helicopter in the front, sort of, uh, it's like fishing, like a lure. And then you have the Apache <laughs> in the back, you know, uh, yeah. waiting for your call to, uh, call out enemy fire. So, so that was good. That was good training. I had, had, had a lot of great experiences with that. So, yeah, so that's yeah, what I did. We did a little of that when uh, we were in Afghanistan, you know, and your, and your brother was in my troop, but we would, uh, I don't know if you guys did this, we used to paint stripes on top of the blades because the Apache guys would have trouble seeing us. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. But, yeah, we did that. So that that was good. Um, I actually forgot about that. Yeah, we did do that because, uh, yeah. you know, and also we, we took off, uh, before we did pink teams, we took off sites of a couple of aircraft and did it that way. You know, sort of had two Kiowas. Yeah, two Kiowas out there, one with a sight and the other one uh, without a sight and uh, more munitions and gas or more munitions anyway. So, yeah, because yeah. that was always the trade off, especially if you're a, a big guy like me and you're already taking up a lot of weight. It's like, oh, okay, I can take three rockets and 200 rounds of 50. Yeah. <laughs> and the sight that's useless. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing that we learned, uh, digress a little bit. Another thing we learned was, uh, in, in your part of this uh, era, is that we found that trying to shoot rockets or a 50 cal at, at a motorcycle or a car moving at a high rate of speed uh, was, was not quite as advantageous as if to maybe shoot the M4 out the door. So we started yeah. training that a lot as well, right? Going in there and just... Uh, learning how to manipulate that weapon with the rotor system above and getting key uh, points on where not to raise it and how much to bank <laughs> and the communication within the, uh, the crew. Cause you know, we've had our, our growing pains, you know, we've come back with a couple yeah. of holes and blades or in the rocket pods, you know, but the oh, yeah. overall success of that tactic was, was favorable, you know, in, in some instances. Yeah. So, Oh yeah. That's a great multiplier and guys <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. ground love it too. Yeah. And then also, you know, 
learning how to throw smoke grenades out of the door to mark targets, right? I mean, that that's something yeah. that we didn't do at all when we initially went in 2003, but just because yeah. of other people trying it, thinking outside the box and being innovative, you know, we, we, did, we did that. Well, you know, one of the things I, I still laugh about, and it seems silly now, but when I went through progression with you, you know, this was 2004, we were still drawing LZ sketches yes. like by hand. And it wasn't until like we went to Iraq in 2006 and somebody had a digital camera because those were relatively new and, and yeah. expensive. But people were like taking pictures and we're like, why did we what think of this concept. sooner? Why, yeah. why are we drawing shit like the, like cavemen? Why aren't we taking pictures? Um, yeah, so yeah, it, it, but you're right though. It's funny you just you know you start learning these things. Yeah, so it's great times, man. Well, um, cool. I think uh, we'll wrap it there. I'm like I said, I'm, we could probably do a whole episode on on gags and shit. Maybe we need to get like a C Dub on here or something, and uh, we can we can rap about all the old nonsense yeah and i'll uh, save my on. story for that for, for that episode yeah <laughs> poor ben bauer to this day i apologize every day oh, <laughs> um but yeah uh well cool well i appreciate you taking the time and uh and for your service and uh your continued service uh as you continue to work with the faa um i guess all i can say to that is if, if you don't die the hero you'd be you live long enough to become the villain. So That's congratulations. Right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But no, for legal reasons, I love the FAA. Thank you very much for all that you guys do. Uh, but, but no, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show and it's good to talk to you. We haven't spoken in so long. It's been great. To yeah. That's uh Hey, thanks for having me. And that's one of the unique things about being in the brotherhood of aviation, right? We just pick up, up where we left off. So that that's, that's awesome to have. Well, big thanks to Mike for coming on and uh, sharing his experiences. Uh, I joined the unit uh, right after those guys came back from a deployment in Iraq, and it was still very hot. And uh, it's a, a very, uh, very tight knit group, very uh, fam, you know, a very big family as far as a, a unit was concerned. And, and like Mike and I talked about in the interview, just just a great time serving with uh, with him and the others in that uh, company, and then we eventually became a troop. Uh, when we transitioned over to become uh, First Squadron 17th Cavalry Regiment, and uh, yeah, probably the probably some of the best times I had in the Army, and uh, yeah, definitely something that you look back on fondly and, and wish that you could kind of just do it all over again and just just to to feel that level of camaraderie. So let's see what else is going on. Uh, yeah, like I said earlier in the show, heading back out on a trip, uh, but I do have another interview that's already completed. Uh, so we'll probably get that out um, hopefully uh, mid, uh, mid-August, mid just uh, kind of waiting on my August schedule from work to see when I can uh, fit in all the uh, the, the after-show things that I've got to do. And uh, looking at some other interviews lined up here soon, so we'll be doing that. And for those of you that are in the uh, Digital Combat Simulator crowd or you're just kind of interested in sort of flight simulation, uh, you can check out my YouTube channel. It's called Casmo TV, C-A-S-M-O-T-V. You can find that on YouTube. Uh, we've been doing uh, some uh, some sort of realistic missions in uh, DCS with our Patreon supporters, and uh, they've been turning out pretty well. We have a lot of fun. We do those on Twitch, uh, which is sort of live streaming gaming, and uh, we've been doing those, uh, trying to do them every week, but again, work being what it is. 
Uh, I try to do something like that every week or so, and then I uh, splice that up and throw it up on the uh, on the channel. So if you're interested in any sort of uh, combat military aviation simulation, you can check out that uh, that channel, see those videos. And uh, once again, appreciate all those Patreon supporters. And if you're interested in becoming a Patreon supporter, you can check out the links down in the show notes below. I appreciate all of you, and I appreciate you guys for listening to the show. And we'll talk to you again here real soon. Take it easy.